On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown, we are joined by former Sooner and current Houston Texan, Kenny Stills. We talk a lot of football with Kenny, but also get into his community service and the impact he's made off the field. Before that, we discuss some of the confusion in college football right now. We talk about the California State University System's announcement this week. We examine some of the Pac-12's public statements, and we break down the NCAA deciding this whole sports coming back thing is not really their problem. After Kenny's interview, we wet the beak and talk some sports gambling. We give you our winners and losers of the week and finish the podcast off with keeping it local and your Twitter questions. Make sure you and all your friends download the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a review. Go follow the podcast's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. Don't forget to watch the YouTube video of each episode. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, May 14th. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night. We have a really insightful interview with Kenny Stills from the Houston Texans. Uh, We talk OU, NFL, and community service and activism with Kenny. But before we get to that, there was a huge development in the Eichert household, Teddy. No, no, don't give me that face. Not that huge. Not that huge. All right. We took the dogs on a walk before we started recording this, and the wife was rocking the new walking hat. We were wearing matching walking hats, and they were so good. I don't believe it unless it's documented, unless I see a picture. Well, that's the funny part is – do you remember David Logie, the guy that used to run out and get the tea at yeah, OU? Still yeah. does. Yeah, Logie. His mom lives right down the street from us, and she was driving. She runs a little blog, which I believe is called like West of Western or something like that. And she's been asking us for a while to take a picture of us while we were walking our dogs so that she mm-hmm. could put it on the thing because she's doing stories about what people are doing during the quarantine. And she sees us walking the dogs all the time. So she finally caught up with us to get a picture, and the wife and I are rocking Come on, walking hats. Let's In go. the picture, you didn't pull picture. it off. Wow. Now, that, that's commitment. I love it. I was about to say uh, I'll give $100 to any listener that is able to snap a, a drive-by photo. Both of you have to be wearing your hats. I have it to is, see documented proof. It is documented. The picture exists. I'm not sure wow. if I'll be able to track it down, but it's, it, <laughs> I assume it was really good. Uh, all right, now, we know why all y'all are here, and that is to hear us talk some college football. 
And we had an interesting couple of days in the college football world, Ted. Some alarming headlines, especially from the state of California. What's new? Weird stuff Ah, happening in California. So the California State University system comes out and the headlines are scary, right? They said, hey, they are going to cancel in-person classes in the fall. They're going to offer only online classes. And then you actually read the article and it says it could be a hybrid model. It could be this. It could be that. But you realize it involves 23 schools. And you're going, oh, my God, 23 schools. And then you also realize none of the important California schools are in the California State University system. UCLA is not in it. Cal's not in it. USC and Stanford are both private schools. Now, you do have San Diego State and Fresno State and San Jose State that play in the Mountain West, and I, I get that. That's, that's, a, that's a good level of football. But am I a bad person for not giving a shit that the California State University system may not have in-person classes? It, it doesn't affect me in any way, Teddy. No. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Um, you know, originally we, we were told, and it made sense at the time that we have to have students on campus for athletes to be on campus, right? And we don't want to put them in a more dangerous environment than we would the, the other students. And then we heard some people say, well, you know, that's not necessarily true. And if you think about it, if there's no other students on campus, if the players are on campus, that sounds like about the safest environment you could be in, right? If there's no one else around. Yes. Kind of, <laughs> there's, there's, right? if, I mean, if you have proper access to testing and stuff like that, right. yes, that it sounds incredibly safe for the players. So – It's just been interesting how this deal has kind of morphed. Now, the real problem for California isn't necessarily going to be with the universities and their decision. It's going to be probably with the governor and his four-phase plan. And if you've seen this plan, it makes – like even moving just to phase two looks like it's incredibly difficult. And even the the head of the health – uh, department out there said that she thinks they're going to be in lockdown for three months in order for them for a county to move to phase two they have to have zero deaths within 15 days they have to be at a uh, a certain cases that have new cases over 14 days and it's incredibly low so all of these things and you look at that and it's like i those look like they're the governor is setting some impossible standards for these universities to be able to live up to in order, you know, forget the conference rules, just in order for the, the state rules for them to be able to get the guys back on campus. Yeah, it's, it's just so interesting for me because, you know, the California State University system comes out with that statement and directly after you see the leadership at San Diego State, Fresno State, San Jose State say, hey, no, 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 no. We're still gathering information. No official decisions have been made. And once again, the confusion for me 
has set in. And then you look at what's going on in the Pac-12. And that's where I begin to get very confused because the Pac-12's made it clear, hey, we're going to make our own decision. Uh, We don't care what the California State University system says. We're going to make our own decision. And you hear the rumors, and Clay Helton confirmed him, the coach from USC, where there's been discussions that the Pac-12 is putting together a plan, if it comes to it, where they will play an 11-game season with just conference games. So it would be just those 12 teams over on the West Coast. And you just get you just continue to get confused because what they're saying and what these football coaches are saying, it really doesn't match up with what the government officials are saying. It doesn't seem like anyone's on the same page out there. It doesn't even match up with reality on the ground. You know, um, and you listed some of these games that if they're just going to play conference games, explain to me why Oregon can play Oregon State, but Utah can't play BYU. I mean, how does that make any sense at all? And if you're flying a team from Arizona to California or to Colorado or from Colorado to Oregon, what difference does it make if someone's flying from Michigan or Texas or any other place. It just, I, if the Pac-12 was in a bubble where they had no cases and the rest of the country was in a meltdown crisis and other conferences weren't testing their players and staff, okay, that would make sense. That's not the reality on the ground. It's not even close to the reality on the ground. And it's, it's another plan to me that doesn't really make sense given the the current situation of what's going on. I don't know. It's strange. Yeah, and if the Pac-12 doesn't play non-conference games, there's a few games that are pretty important that wouldn't get played. When you look at Washington, supposed to play Michigan, Utah, BYU, Cal, TCU, Ohio State, supposed to come to Oregon. USC and Bama are supposed to play. USC and Notre Dame. So you're losing out. You know what you just did? You just listed every game that the Pac-12 plays in that anybody cares about. Nobody cares about any other game. You're not excited for – Cal Stanford matters, right? Oh, my God. I mean, I mean, okay. You could maybe convince me that Oregon, USC, which I don't. Do they play this year? And if if both of those teams are good and, and USC uh, has a good year going on, but these are all the biggest games that they have all year. They don't make any money in the Pac-12. These are the games that are going to actually bring in some revenue for their universities, and they're going to nah, we're not going to play those. It's I don't know, man. I, it's that's insane to me. It's. it's crazy. It, it it's going to continue to get weirder out there in the Pac-12. I'm convinced of it because it, it doesn't seem like anyone is on the same page. And once again, college football do, doesn't have that figurehead leader, and yeah. it it could it could really help things right now. But uh, one update 
I know a lot of OU fans are starting to get a starting to get worried about OU's trip to Army, going and playing uh, the cadets there at West Point. Talked to Joe Castiglione today, and as of today, the University of Oklahoma has not put any plans in place to discuss replacing that game. They haven't talked to anybody else about playing them that week. Right now, the plan is to start school on time, play the season as it is, and to play that football game. Now, of course, a lot can change between now and September 26th when that game is supposed to be played. But I was encouraged to hear Josie say that they weren't already looking for a replacement for that matchup because I'm extremely excited for that trip, I've always wanted to go see West Point, and I've been looking forward to it since the Sooners survived them <laughs> in that overtime matchup. So I, I was encouraged. Now, still, I'll, I'll say cautiously optimistic that that game gets played. But it was good to hear Josie say that they aren't re- they aren't exploring other options already. Yeah. Well. I'll tell you, it's fascinating, given the situation in California, to see kind of what's developed between Alabama and TCU, given the uncertainty of Southern Cal and whether they're going to be able to play that game in Jerry's world. Um, And because TCU nationally is supposed to go out to play Cal. So that is a situation that could work out perfectly for both Alabama and TCU. That's a great opportunity for TCU. Um, So that's kind of a really cool situation. So, you know, given what's going on in the Pac-12, even let's say that for whatever reason, Army is not going to be able to play that game because of what's going on in their immediate area there in New York. You know, there could be some options for, for OU to play on that weekend against someone that was either supposed to go out to California and play or a California team was supposed to come to them and play. So um, even if that game doesn't happen and I'm with you cautiously optimistic, it's good that they're not currently hunting that down, but um, it is nice to know that there could be some other options and it's not, it doesn't have to just be a canceled date and you got nothing there. Yeah. And we'll see, we'll see how that whole situation develops. I think right now, everyone's still just gathering information and it could be a situation where we don't know what games are going to be played until maybe a couple weeks before the game. I got to tell you, California, you know, governor Newsom right out of the gate, as soon as this thing happened, I mean, we're not even a week into it. You know, whenever the golden state warriors were kind of one of the first people to, to say we're shutting down and governor Newsom a couple of days later says we're not playing sports or concerts in California until 2021. And that was right out of the gate before anyone knew anything. And it looks almost like he is bound and determined for that statement to be held true. Like regardless of what the situation is on the ground, it's like he made that call then and he's living up to it. It's, it's been strange. Yeah. And it affects a lot of schools. I mean, there's a lot of damn schools in the state of California. And 
it was interesting because the Pac-12 coaches uh, came out this week and they had a united front, right? And you heard Jimmy Lake, the new coach at Washington, say that it would be nice for the NCAA to come out and make a blanket statement about when we all can start because we're all in this together. And that continues to be the Pac-12's unofficial motto in this whole thing. So they come out and say that. And minutes after the Pac-12 coaches come out with this spiel that, hey, we should, you know, there should be a set date by the NCAA. Mark Emmert comes out and says that the NCAA won't mandate or oversee a uniform return to college sports. He says, the president of the NCAA says he is going to leave it up to state officials and universities. The Pac-12 coaches had to be devastated because if you think about it, if you're Clay Helton or Jimmy Lake, Mario Cristobal, you're just looking at your situation going, guys, please, please don't forget us. We're, we're still out here. We, we want to play too. While you look at these teams in the Big 12, in the SEC, who seem to be gaining momentum to having student-athletes return to campus sooner rather than later, it's got to be incredibly frustrating for those coaches because they're, they're on the West Coast, but they're football coaches. Daddy, they just want oh, to no. play football. They do. It's the Pac-12 had their Jerry Maguire moment. Who's coming with me, right? And nobody. Yeah, crickets, right? Pac-12's like, we got to do this together. No, sorry. We're moving on with or without you. But I don't know, man. I I feel like the 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 Pac-12 is is going to be held hostage. It looks like by you know some of the governors out west and it's I don't know. I don't know how you get past that. And I got to tell you, California, if, if, if they, I mean, just, just the whole Pac-12, forget California. If they're not playing football this year and the rest of the country is, I got to tell you, I don't, I just, I don't think the Pac-12 will ever recover financially from that. These, these athletic programs, uh, other than Oregon, um, Everyone relies on that football money. And if you go a year without that football money, because they're talking about playing a spring season when everyone else has already played in the fall. Are you kidding me? Um, I, I just – I don't know. I, I think this could have some devastating consequences on the Pac-12 athletic program. Or it could lead to some serious Big 12 expansion. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, if, right? Arizona. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it how it all turns out it's going to be really interesting to see what ends up happening especially in the state of california speaking of california uh, a young man that came to oklahoma in the class of 2010 as part of what a lot of people called the cali trio was my man kenny stills and he sat down with us for an awesome interview and we won't make y'all wait any longer here's kenny stills It is our pleasure to be joined by a wide receiver for the Houston Texans. He is one of the best wide receivers in the history of OU football, even though he broke my heart and left early, but I think it worked out for him because he's headed into year eight in the National Football League. Kenny Stills is in the house. Kenny, how are we doing, buddy? 
I'm doing great, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I broke your heart, man. But, it's okay. Uh, it, it, I'm doing well. It, it worked out for you. It seems like you're doing all right. Yeah, man. No complaints. I got to say, man, one of my – like, so my first year on the OU sideline was 2012. So it was your last year. And this is, this is my biggest beef with Heupel and the offense at the time. If I had a dollar for every time I'm standing there on the white and Kenny came flying by me with a uh, finger in the air, running the rail route down the sideline with his guy in his back, back uh, pocket, dude, I wanted them to throw the ball to you deep every single play. I know, was that frustrating that year? Because I know you end up making a ton of plays, but my goodness, I was sitting over there like, just let it fly. Just let it fly. That had to be kind of frustrating. Yeah, you know, I, um, I always felt like I was open or had the chance to make a big play and wanted to do whatever I can to, to spark something for the offense, you know. But we had so many ballers uh, on that team and that group of receivers, running backs, tight ends, O-line. So uh, it, it gets frustrating, but, you know, we did our thing and, you know, we ended up playing in a big bowl game and, you know, getting blown out. But um, Ooh, that was a thorough ass-kicking from A&M. <laughs> yes. Thorough. But, yeah, no, I mean, it gets frustrating, but it is what it is, man. I had a good time. I loved uh, every year and every game, every snap that I played at OU. Now, every game you played at OU, I played in it with you. So I saw every – I saw all the big plays. I, I remember them all. It, is it weird that I'm upset that the play you're remembered for most is you blocking – I mean, c- come on. I-, I know it's a great block uh, on Damien's run against Texas, yeah. but is that frustrating that your most memorable play as a Sooner is a block? No, actually, actually, no, man. I, um, I mean, you made some, some great plays, some great catches, but I feel like that kind of speaks to just who I am, like, as a player and as a teammate. Uh, you know, I love, you know, coming in as a freshman and then kind of, like, building the camaraderie that we had, building the team that we had. Coach Norvell always being honest about hustling for our teammates and, you know, doing things to try and get involved if you weren't making catches. And so in that game, I think we rushed for like 300 yards or something and the receivers weren't really making that many plays. So for me to get involved some way, somehow on a big block, uh, you know, and kind of change the momentum of the game, I think that speaks to just the type of player that I try to be. You don't get a whole lot of opportunities at wide receiver to deal it. You know, so whenever you get an opportunity, you may have to run 50 yards across the field. But to catch a guy, I thought that was awesome. Um, you know, you were kind of part of the really getting the ball rolling. And, I, I mean, OU's got a long history of, of wide receivers, obviously. But, I mean, for being big-time breakout stars, deep ball guys, you kind of got that ball rolling. And, man, it's been like a factory here recently what are you seeing from the guys coming out? It's like every year we put out a, a top wide receiver. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's been fun to watch. It's been really fun to watch, and you know, it's it's exciting to think about the next group of guys and really seeing how their game translates to the league and seeing them have success. And I'm excited for CD and his position that he's going to be in, in in Dallas. And obviously, we you know don't know what's happening with the league and when we'll be be back out there playing, but. I know that, uh, you know, he's going to take advantage of his opportunity out there and start making big plays in the league, too. Now, Kenny, uh, just one more OU question, then we'll definitely move on to your NFL career. But 
do you watch the games? Do you, uh, are, do you have a relationship with Coach Riley now that he's taken over? Uh, I mean, how attached are you still to the program? You know, it's been challenging with a lot of the activism things that I've been involved in um, to stay locked in in entertainment and sports and college ball. So whenever games are on and I can catch them, I try to catch them. Um, you know, always rooting for the for the boys and you know talking trash and and uh, that type of stuff in the locker room. But you know, I've I've been heavily involved in you know things off the field and really trying to work on myself and invest my time into you know my family. Um, so you know, it's it's a balance, and I try to keep that balance. But obviously, I'm always rooting for my boys, and whenever I get a chance to watch, I'm supporting. You're slowly making your way back west. You know. <laughs> Miami, you started as far away as you could from uh, where you grew up. You're slowly making your way, or I guess you didn't start off there, but now you're back in Houston. Um, I mean, talk about how, how strange it's been from the close of last season to where we are now. Um, a lot of uncertainty. It's probably a different offseason than you could have ever imagined. Uh, probably trying to stay up to speed with, with some of the team through Zoom meetings and online stuff. Just Kind of take us through where you've been, how you've been training, and, and what this virtual offseason's been like. Yeah, so we've been doing the Zoom meetings now for the past couple of weeks and, um, you know, just trying to make the most out of that stuff, really just going back to the basics, um, fundamentals of the game or the offense, and just trying to make sure everyone's on the same page. That way, you know, we get back and, and running that, you know, we, we kind of pick up where we left off last season, which was – you know, a really talented team that made a strong playoff run. And so, um, yeah, I've been lucky to be able to, you know, find a, a gym to work one-on-one -on -one with somebody and, uh, you know, keep things safe and be able to stay in shape and, you know, stay prepared. We have the saying, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And so just trying to make sure that I'm prepared for whenever they call us back. Now, take us what take us through what you've been doing uh, for the quarantine. Like, wh where did you start out? It seems like you're back in Houston now. Uh, have you been able to link up with Deshaun Watson, get some throwing in? Uh, what's that all been like? Yeah, so I've I've started out on the West Coast. Um, you know, staying in LA, pretty much just locked down there by the beach. I figured that'd be the best that'd be the best place. Um, you know, to hang out and be locked down and uh, and the safest place really. And, uh, yeah, over the last, you know, couple of weeks when things have been loosening up a little bit, I made my way to Houston and figured that, you know, it's be smart for me to start preparing for the season, working with Deshaun, uh, you know, being that, uh, you know, we traded DeAndre Hopkins away and, you know, there's, there's a big opportunity in space for, you know, some of us receivers and playmakers to step up and make some plays this year. So just trying to build that chemistry with Deshaun. Uh, you know, I was only here for a week before the season started and then all season last year. And so you build that um, rapport with each other throughout the season. But, uh, you know, it's nice to spend that time working out, grinding together, uh, building a relationship and then getting on the field and, and talking to each other, walking through all the routes and just knowing where we're going to be at on the field and building up that chemistry. You, you mentioned oh, go ahead. Sorry, you yeah. mentioned DeAndre Hopkins getting traded um, when something like that happens, it, it, it shakes up a football team. And what what was the reaction? Like, I, I know you got the group text going with the wide receiver group or maybe the entire offense. What was the team's reaction when that deal went down? Yeah, I just think everyone was surprised. You know, I, I tweeted that uh, Russell Westbrook meme 
where he's kind of like you know, just <laughs> confused, surprised, thrown off, you know, and that's I think that's where everybody is, you know, when you when you trade your your best player away or one of your best players away, one of the best receivers in the league, uh, it's going to get a little, you know, sideways reaction from some guys. But, you know, we understand it's a business. Obviously, I've been traded twice. And so, uh, you know, those things happen. And, you know, we're just the players and we kind of go with the flow of how things happen. But, you know, it's – you obviously, uh, you know, have certain feelings about seeing one of the best players go. And then, obviously, Hop's a really good dude. And we're in the same draft class. But I'm able to learn a lot from him on the field and off the field. And so, you know, you miss a player like that. It's – Kind of is strange because he's one of or the best player on the team. Uh, obviously, a guy that you're you're friends with and you're in the same room with. You learn together, as you just mentioned. But at the same time, it's you. Part of you has to be saying, "Okay, well, hey, you know, I got an opportunity here. We're going to need a big play guy. There's going to be a void there offensively." So how do you uh, how does that balance out in your mind saying man I hate that we traded this guy but at the same time hey this could be a great opportunity for me personally Yeah I mean I think it's after the initial you get over the initial su- surprise you're like okay well what's next and so you see we made the moves to bring in uh Cobb and to bring in Cooks and uh you know so I, I think the philosophy is you know to have a group of guys that can all go out there and make plays and so, yeah, we understand and know the opportunity that we have. You know, I've, I played with Cooks in New Orleans, and I've trained with Cobbs a couple of times in the offseason. We all have good relationships, and, you know, building that relationship with Will Fuller and some of the guys that we have, we've got the talent to do it, you know. And so once you get over the initial surprise of, you know, losing a guy, then it's like, all right, you see you have an opportunity, and, you know, it's time to capitalize. So you trade Hopkins away. You know, they trade for Cooks. They sign Cobb. And then the trade rumors start again. And you you mentioned you got traded from New Orleans to Miami, got traded from Miami to Houston. Do those trade rumors, uh, I I know you hear them, do they even bother you anymore at this point? Are you just like, well, if I get traded, I get traded. I've already been through it. Yeah, that's pretty much that. I mean, you see it, people tag me in all types of different things. And so you see it and – it, it definitely, you question things, you know, so you call your agent or whatever you call it, coaching staff and see, you know, where their head's at. And, but you understand too that it's a business. I've been through the process and I've had success. You know, I've been shipped off somewhere else to Miami. The first year didn't go too well. Then the next year we had success and I was able to, uh, you know, get another contract. And then I was shipped off here before the season and, you know, was able to you know hold my own and make some plays in this offense. And so, um, I have confidence in my ability to be able to go from team to team and make plays. And so, you know, it is what it is. I understand the business portion, but I'm trying to handle the things that I can handle, control the controllables. And so I'm here with Deshaun working with him and taking care of my thing and taking care of my body and preparing myself like I'm going to be here. Learn to live life, I guess, right? Is like whenever you go somewhere, it's like I'm not going to put out a bunch of roots everywhere and buy a big house and fill it with a bunch of furniture. It's like, you know, you got to kind of, you know, ease into things and, and, and get set up to where not necessarily stay mobile, but Hey, you know, it is a business is, I mean, does that mess with your mindset at all whenever you're going to a new place? I think it's, you know, obviously it's, it's different to be kind of up in limbo, but you know, I'm a, I'm a traveling dude, you know, when the season Good. ends, I, I get a, my backpack and I get a carry on suitcase and I go and I go from place to place. And so, I'm in Houston right now, and that's what I got. I got Where's your favorite place? Carry on. 
whenever when the season's oh. over, what are you looking forward to? There, there's a place, there's a there's a town, there's a beach somewhere that you you've got on your mind. Oh no, uh, my man K Stills is a world traveler. Yeah, he goes all, all over the place. I've been all over. Uh, it's it's hard to say, man. I love the beach. Uh, going to Brazil or like going to Mykonos, those places. Uh, you know, beautiful people, good food, beautiful beaches, uh, and then fun places to party. You know. 28 single and enjoy myself he's in he's going into year eight he's only 28 years old that Crazy. is that's so great now I, I do want to talk about your first two stops because i had a stint in new orleans and i really enjoyed it and when you got drafted there i was very excited for you because you were going to get to go play with drew Brees. Mm-hmm. now I only got to experience Drew Brees and his leadership for seven weeks or whatever I was there for. What was it like playing for playing for him, playing with him? Because I don't think I've seen a better leader in my entire sports career than that guy. Hey, he's a machine. He's a machine. And I know you probably remember just seeing like the little things that some people might consider like OCD or you know, but just like he just is a routine oriented dude and he's always on top of his routine and, and he sticks to it. And so it made it really easy for me to do my job. I just had to get open. Like that's my one job, get open and catch the ball. And so, um, yeah, I, I love playing in New Orleans. I love making plays there. And, uh, you know, the way things happen, you know, things, you know, you go from team to team, but it's, you know, I don't know if you ever playing with Deshaun, you know, he has that talent. He's young. He's the future of the league. You know, it's, it's, you start to see, you know, these guys that, that have that, that leadership, those leadership skills and that sense of talent that they have. And so um, I've been lucky, you know, to play with him, play with Ryan, and now playing with Deshaun. That influenced you at all early in your career to see Drew Brees? I mean, it's, it's no mystery. Like, there's a lot of – in the NFL, everyone's super talented. But the guys that hang around like Brees does, like Brady does, like – like Peyton did, some of those guys, they're, they're the hardest workers, and they do – it's a year-round deal. Did that influence you? And to see that early in your career say, that's how you stick around in this league? 100%. You know, I came on to that team a couple of years after they won the Super Bowl, and, you know, seeing Drew, Pierre Thomas, Darren Sproles, Lance Moore, uh, Marcus Colston, like I had all of these dudes that have played for a Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl, and so just to – sit back and watch and learn from them and really just try to duplicate everything that they were doing and know that if, Hey, if I did things this way that, you know, I could have success in my career and that I could have longevity in my career. And so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a blessing for me to be able to, to go to new Orleans. I wasn't happy with falling in the draft. You know, I felt like I was better than some of the guys that were drafted before me, but it was a huge blessing for me to go there and play with some real professionals and learn from them. Yeah. I still can't believe Fifth round, right? Fifth round. I was just stupid. Like 17th receiver. And I think there's like four of us or five of us that are still, but still he's, rolling. But he's not keeping track or anything. Oh, I watch <laughs> it. I keep it in my locker. I, and I have that list. I have that list in my locker. I have the full draft list. And then I have all the receivers and the write-up about me saying that, uh, you know, I couldn't get off the press, that I was slow, that my hands were iffy, uh, you know, that I had – problems off the field that I, you know, wasn't a good teammate. I have all that stuff just because, you know, you look for different things to motivate you as the years go on. You know, at, at the beginning, it's, 
you know, plan for my family and trying to take care of my mom and my sisters and that type of stuff. And so your, your motivation always is changing. And so some days you need that extra, that extra boost. You, you mentioned the quarterbacks you've played with. I mean, you think Breeze, Tannehill, now Deshaun Watson. When looking at Deshaun, what do you think makes this guy so special? Clearly he's got the athleticism. He's got the talent. But it seems like he just has this it factor and that the sky's the limit for this guy. Yeah, that's that, uh, it's that dog. It's that heart. I mean, we were watching, you know, some of the film today and you see the game where he gets kicked in the eye. I don't know if you guys remember seeing this. Oh, my gosh. Kicked in the eye through his helmet, fixes his eyeball, and then throws a touchdown pass. And for the next couple of weeks, like, I think, I think he still might have, like, a little, a little laziness in one of his eyeballs. But just to see the, the heart that he has, the passion that he has, and then week in and week out, you know, we know that we're always in every game that we play. Who's the one DB that you line up against that you know you got it? I mean, there's got to be a guy out there that you line up and you say, I'm, I'm going to be wide open. I'm about to torch this dude. Give me the name. I know there's someone out there. I'm not going to do anybody like that. Oh. Only person, only person, the only person that I'll talk about like that is T. Jeff. Tony Jefferson lines up in front of me. <laughs> I know he can't cover me. And, and it's been a blessing, man. We've got to play each other. I think three times last year would have been four times if, if he didn't get hurt. But now, he may not be able to cover you, but be careful after the catch. Yeah, go yeah, he's gonna come down to hit. He'll Put come down to hit, but he knows he can't guard me. Now, it, it's interesting that you mentioned Tony. I know he's rehabbing and waiting to get signed still. But how special has it been to be able to go through that NFL journey with a guy you've been that close to? for that long because I, I mean in college you guys were inseparable man it it, it was a duo so yeah. just how great has that been to go through that whole process with Tony man that's uh I don't it's hard to put into words you know it literally kind of gives me chills to think about you know just from coming from San Diego together being roommates you know having the careers that we had and at OU together and then just the success that we've been able to have especially after him going undrafted which I don't know how that happens but yeah, man, just to see the success that he's had, the teams that he's been on, uh, I think at you know, one point he was the highest paid safety in the league after he signed his contract. And so, um, yeah, man, it's, it's been really special. And then you see, he's got, you know, his boy and two twins that he just had. So uh, he's building his family too. And so it's been, it's been special to be a part of that, you know, our family and his family together. You guys got some high expectations, you know, um, Last year was a, uh, a year that you were close. I know that that playoff game, you guys had Kansas City down, and I turned the TV off like a bunch of people did and was totally shocked when I later saw what happened. What was that locker room like? What was it like whenever, you know, obviously you guys are up big, everyone's feeling good, we've got this, and then there's such a quick turnaround caught a bunch of guys by surprise I mean were, were you guys devastated excuse me yeah I mean obviously I think that's probably the worst loss or comeback loss that I've ever been a part of and then for it to be uh, the a playoff game on national television um, and the way that it happened so yeah I mean obviously we were all pretty upset and frustrated you know I, I think it's Tough to say now, obviously, after the game, everyone, you know, has their opinion about what we should have done better, what we could have changed, the adjustments we could have made. 
all these different things. But yeah, you know, we know we were close. And, uh, but that's not good enough, man. I've been in the league, what, this will be eight years. I've been in the playoffs three times. And so you never know when you're going to get that opportunity again. You never know when you're going to get that close. You never know when your quarterback's going to be healthy throughout the whole season. There's so many things that have to line up in order for you to have those opportunities. So uh, I just look at it more of a sense of frustration of, of the unknown. And so, you know, we know what we need to do to get back to that spot and hopefully we can get past it this year. It, how frustrating is it because you guys were so close and, and you feel that motivation after the season ends, kind of after the pain from the loss goes away and you can't wait to get back at it. Of course, you take your time away, but you can't wait to get back at it. And you don't have OTAs. You're not in the locker room together developing those bonds. You're not able to go through those practices, which I know – you don't get a ton out of, but you're still on the field working with your guys. How frustrating is it that you weren't able to carry maybe some of that momentum or motivation from that loss? Yeah, I mean, you hear it. Uh, you hear the sense of urgency from the guys in the meetings. You know, coaches are asking us questions. We're doing quizzes. We're doing competitions any way that we can through uh, Zoom. And so, you know, it's guys are fired up. You know, we know. The draft has happened. Teams have kind of stacked up through free agency and all that. So, uh, you know, we all have another opportunity. We all start zero and zero. And, uh, you know, it's a new season. Once once things get going, we'll see if we're going to have any fans to have that extra juice or not. But, um, you know, we're all excited and, and guys are invested into this time and a little bit of things that we have to do to meet and uh, stay up on the playbook and coverages and all that stuff. The guys are doing it. So, I think people know and have a sense of, sense of urgency and prepare for next year. You know, the, the Zoom meetings are interesting. I don't know if you've, if you've had a chance to meet maybe one-on-one -on -one with your coordinator or your wide receiver coach. What are, the, what are the expectations for your role in the offense now? Is you feel like it's the same thing as it was last year? Or is, is, are, are they expecting you to take a bigger role with uh, Hopkins being gone? Kind of, where, where do you think you fit right now with what's going on? It seems like um, they want all of us to be able to run every route on the route tree, you know, and make it a little bit more difficult, you know, for defenses to lock in on, hey, this guy's doing this or this guy's doing that. And so um, when you look at the skill set of the guys that we have, you know, we can all play inside and outside. We can all run the option routes. We can all go down the field. And so uh, really just at this stage of my game, learning how to, you know, continue to master my techniques and creating separation and making sure that every ball that's thrown in my vicinity is, is caught. And then uh, really for me, just working on making guys miss and, and getting the yards after the catch. You know, I've always been able to get behind guys and make those big plays. But I think if I can add that yak to my game, start making a couple people miss, uh, you know, then I can really be a game changer. Now, ha have you guys gotten any sort of update from the league uh, from the Players Association, uh, from the Texans, any sort of timetable where you guys may be able to come back to the facility or anything like that? No, no, we've, uh, we're basically, we know exactly what everyone else knows, whatever's being, you know, put out on Twitter or what have you. Uh, I think I read today that the league extended this kind of period to the end of the month. And so uh, I think the coaches or the teams were supposed to notify us by Friday what was going to happen with these types of Zoom meetings. And so I'm guessing now we'll be on them to the end of the month and then they'll decide. But 
Yeah, like I, the, the thing that we've kind of all preached to all of our players is, like I said before, just making sure you're staying ready, making sure that you're, you know, your body's prepared for whenever they call us in. I mean, that's just part of what we what we do in football and what we have to be prepared for. Do you feel like you're where you need to be? I mean, like if you were to compare your, your you know, I, I don't know, your weight, your strength and conditioning, or do you feel like you're where you are in a, a typical year? Are you ahead of that maybe? Where's your, where's your body right now? I feel great. Honestly, I started doing two days this week. So uh, running and throwing and lifting in the morning and then some more technique and a second lift in the afternoon. So yeah, my body's feeling great. You know, I've, it's pretty easy to lock in, uh, you know, especially around this time, but I don't do much either way. You know, I work and I train, I relax and try to stay low key. So yeah, I'm feeling great. Uh, my body feels good. You know, I had some, some injuries and stuff that I played through last year. I'm healthy now. And um, like I said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And I know that I've, I've got an opportunity. Our team's got an opportunity and we're all zero and zero again. So let's go get it. Now, Kenny, you've become very well known for the things you've been doing off the field. And if someone would have told me that Kenny Stills was going to turn in to one of the faces of community service of the National Football League and one of the biggest activists in the National Football League. I'm not sure back in 2012 I would have believed that, my man. But when did this, when did this become a motivation of yours? When, when did this become a passion of yours? Because clearly you're different than a lot of guys because a, a lot of guys talk the talk but don't walk the walk. And you certainly – have talked about it, but you're also going out in the community and trying to make the difference. So, I mean, how did this, how did this part of your life start? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're both on the same page as far as me, you know, being involved in anything, uh, you know, in activism, it wasn't something that was really on my radar, you know? And so it really started thinking back to uh, the way that I was raised, my coaches, uh, you know, people that helped me and, and my family, um, you know, all the way, you know, there was people that have, you know, helped me since little league all the way up, up through college, up to college. And so just giving back, uh, you know, the way that people, you know, did for me. And so I think when I first got to New Orleans, it was mandatory for all the rookies to go to every community service event. And that kind of laid the foundation as far as like giving back to the local community that your team's in. But um, really, I, I wanted to, to vote. And so I, my parents had never talked to me about politics growing up. I didn't vote at all when I was in college. And so I paid attention to the 2016 election and I started, you know, neutral. I didn't have a blue or red or any of that. I just was literally watching what I saw through the debates and the things that I was reading on TV or on, you know, Twitter and through the news and was able to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. But when I started paying attention to politics, you start paying more attention to current events. And I started to see more of these videos of unarmed, uh, you know, black and brown people being gunned down on, on Twitter, Facebook, and um, with really no justice being served. And so that, that really took a toll on, on, my, on my head and on my heart. And I wanted to do something to get involved. And I, I saw what Colin and Megan Rapino and Eric Reed, I saw what they were doing by, you know, using their platform to, to take a stance. And I saw that as my opportunity to get involved. And so, and so I did. And a lot of people don't know, like I, I grew up in Oceanside, California. I grew up uh, 
right by Camp Pendleton, which is a military base. And so my little league coaches, all the families that I grew up were all Marines. You know, they've every people like all the people that helped raise me were all Marines. And so I knew and understood the backlash that was going to come from it and how I was going to make people feel and how uh, just how controversial the stance that I was taking was going to be. But I just felt like it was uh, my opportunity. You know, I felt like it was a thing that that I needed to do in my gut and in my heart. And like I said, I knew nothing about politics. I knew nothing about the government. I knew nothing about anything, but I knew how I felt in my heart. And so I stuck to that. And then from there, just really was motivated to educate myself, educate myself on the history of our country, the civil rights movement, um, and different things that have happened throughout, you know, our history and through our government. And um, I knew that giving back and getting getting involved in the community was my way of showing people that, hey, this is something that I'm really about. And so, yeah, just dedicating myself to really trying to learn and understand what's happening throughout our country outside of my bubble, the NFL bubble, my family's bubble, and do everything that I can to, to try and help and make a difference. And so that's what I've been doing. And I started my foundation last year. My foundation focuses a lot on like mental health, mindset, and uh, just kind of destigmatizing the whole converse, the conversation around therapy and mental health in black and brown communities. And um, yeah, man, it's being involved in the protest has helped me grow so much as a person and as a man. And um, I know it's this controversial thing, but I feel like I've done my best to make sure that I'm connecting with people on both sides and working with law enforcement and explaining myself I'm letting people know like what my heart is and that's really just to help bring people together and uh, you know try to make the country a better place. Two quick questions here. Uh, you mentioned Camp Pendleton and uh, a lot of Marines around there. Did anyone reach out during the whenever whenever it started and say that they were disappointed and they wish you wouldn't do that? Is that something that you had to go down like some some people that were close to you? Yeah, 100%, man. So my mentor and one of the father figures in my life was my Pop Warner coach. He coached me from, I think, seven years old to about 15. And, uh, you know, I spent every weekend at their house, like spending the night because he had a son who was the same age that played on the team. And so before I decided to take a knee, I called him the Saturday night before the game and, you know, just got his advice, got his thoughts. And, you know, he was like, you know, I really appreciate it if you, you know, didn't get involved in this at all and I you know I said thank you and you know I'm gonna pray on it and sleep on it and yeah so I definitely have people uh, you know that weren't agreeing and asking me to you know do something different and you know I went to a predominantly white high school and so I had a lot of you know kids that reached out to me through Facebook that were you know like had some harsh things to say about the position that I took and I you know just understand that obviously we're all entitled to our opinion but I also just know that like the, I think the more that people want to get educated on these topics and some of the things that we're talking about, I think they'll understand that, you know, the position that I'm taking is there's some, there's a reason behind it. One, one last one for me, Gabe. Um, obviously there were some people early in your life, whenever you started looking back, had a big impact on you. And, and that's, you know, whenever you started thinking about it again, that's why you wanted to get back into it. Do you have a favorite story now of someone along the way that, you had an interaction with one way or another and they've since reached out to you and said, you have no idea how big of an impact this has made on my life. And, and this is where I've gone since then. Um, off the top of my head. No, 
But I mean, I, I think about like Junior Seau. Junior Seau was somebody in Oceanside that would go to the beach and do these beach workouts when I was like a little, little kid. And he would have like, you know, 50 to 100 people there running around with him, just wanting to like be a part of the workout. Some high school guys, some college guys, and then some kids. And he always kind of like went out of his way to make sure that people just saw him as like a human being. He wasn't Junior Seau, the football player. He wasn't Junior Seau, like anything else, but just a human being. And I think that made an impact on me and in my life. And so that's what I've tried to do, um, you know, when I'm out in public, when I'm out in the community, when I'm out and about, I just try to be like everyone else. And, uh, you know, I think that that's something that's really important to me and it's made an impact on me. Now, Kenny, I think a lot of people probably just judge you based on you taking a knee for the anthem uh, before the games. But you have gone across the country and met with police departments and government officials. Um, how has the reception been from those people when you show up to just have a conversation with them? Uh, you know, it depends. It starts off a little rough, I think sometimes. And sometimes I think people just appreciate you coming and meeting them in person. You know, I can recall, uh, the first time after taking a knee, I went to uh, law enforcement, the local law enforcement of Florida, I went to their roll call. And so the roll call is like, you know, right before they're going to go out on their shift, you know, somebody gets up in front is like, hey, this is what's going on in this neighborhood, yada, yada, yada. And so I stood up in front of them and was like, you know, gave them a whole spiel like, hey, I'm not against law enforcement. You know, I'm against bad, bad cops. You know, if we've got people out there doing the wrong things, then like, that's what I'm against. That's what we're talking about. Like, I'm sorry, you know, if the narrative has been taken another way, but we are against bad policing. And I think we should all be against bad policing. That's something that, um, you know, I feel like is one of those common sense things. And so being able to explain myself and then kind of come to them with different ideas. You know, one of the first ideas that I had that was brought up in one of the town hall meetings is, uh, you know, giving police officers like football cards. So we give them football cards and like they could pass those out in their community so that the first time that they're having an interaction with people in their community isn't a, when they're trying to arrest them or you know bring them in. It's like, hey, if we give them these football cards, they can pass them out, say, hey, what's up? And kind of just create this community, uh, you know, instead of just people going in and being arrested. And so just trying these different, um, you know, little tools and things to try and build community aspects between you know, people that are living there and the people that are policing them. Yeah, I really appreciate the time, man. Uh, it, it was good to catch up. Uh, you, you mentioned your foundation. How can people contribute or get involved? Pl make sure you plug that. Yeah, no, you can just go to Kenny Stills Foundation, um, com. You know, we're still in our early stages. We're doing some things through Instagram. And, uh, yeah, last year was our first year. We put on a summit of about 300 kids, their parents, um, the kids and their parents. And, you know, just talking about mental health, talking about uh, trauma, talking about meditation, talking about nutrition, just really just kind of breaking these things down and trying to destigmatize the conversations around these things because we're all going through something, you know? And so to be able to talk about our feelings, to be able to talk about our emotions and work through them in positive ways, figuring out ways to cope, you know, in positive ways, I think is really important. You know, we had a lot of, um, suicides in Florida, you know, with this year and last year. And so just trying to do everything we can to let young people know that we care about them and that there's 
and the other options out there to, to cope. We appreciate it, man. Uh, I just want to say uh, I'm incredibly proud of you. Uh, right. the, the amount of growth from the kid I met in 2010 to where you're at now as a 28-year-old man, it's impressive, bro. It is. I appreciate it, man. I thank you guys for having me. And like I said, I'm always, I'm always down to come back. You know, you guys stay safe and uh, hopefully we get through this thing. Good luck this year, man. Thank you. Thanks to Kenny Stills for joining us. Uh, what an interesting guy. Uh, one hell of a journey he's had there, you know, from where he was at at OU to where he is now in the National Football League. I cannot believe it's going to be his eighth year. That's insane. It's, it's crazy how far he's come. Um, yeah, he's almost been in the NFL for a decade. Does that make you feel old? It sure makes me feel old. Uh, dude, how far he's come just as, a, as an individual, as a, as a, I mean, he's, he's a grown man, right? And there was, there was times, a Cali trio, you thought, boy, I don't know about these guys and, and what's going to happen here. But, man, he, he's got his head on straight. I know there's a lot of people, especially around here, that don't agree with his politics. But uh, I think the main thing that, I, that really strikes me is that this is not a publicity stunt for Kenny Stills. He's out there in the community. He's trying to bridge the gap between, um, you know, the the forces that he's, you know, working to help and and the people that, that he doesn't necessarily see eye to eye and find some common ground there. So uh, I think what he's done is great. You can tell he is a matured man for sure. Yeah, and I, I think it says a lot about him as a person that he's able to go and meet with all kinds of different people and find that common ground. Uh, it, it's just really inspiring. Kenny and I have always gotten along really, really well ever since the day we met. And I just, like I told him, I, I, I'm incredibly proud of him. Uh, just, just has really matured and turned into an influential figure for a lot of young people across the country. All right. Now that we have gotten our deep stuff out of the way, <laughs> Uh, how about we finish up with some segments, Ted, since it is Thursday and the weekend is right around the corner. Of course, we are going to wet the beak. We're <laughs> going to talk a little sports gambling. And one of the things that came out, and I don't even know why they set these odds anymore. I, I, I don't understand. But just a few days ago, the William Hill Sportsbook puts out the latest odds for the Big 12 championship in football. OU, shockingly, the favorite at plus 100. Followed right behind them, Texas, plus 140. Oklahoma State, plus 600. Iowa State, plus 1,500. Then you've got TCU, West Virginia, and Baylor, all sitting at plus 2,500. Well, why do they even set these odds? We know OU's going to win the Big 12, right? Five in a row, going to be six. They're going to be six. Um, I think Oklahoma's going to be, I shouldn't say easily the best team in the Big 12, but I, I feel like talent-wise, uh, coaching staff-wise, experience-wise, been there, done that. They've got a, uh, a, a huge leg up, a huge, um, you know, a, a 
just a motivational factor over the rest of the the conference intimidation factor that they're going to cruise. I mean, OU is going to be in the Big 12 championship. Now, a one-game scenario in a conference championship game, sometimes you never know. A couple of turnovers, uh, an injury, you never know what can happen in a one-game ordeal like that, but I'd take OU. If I'm looking for a value play, I like Iowa State plus 1,500. Now, here's the reason. And I said this this week on the show. We did um, way too early bold predictions for the upcoming season. And one of my predictions was that OU will play someone in the Big 12 championship, not named Texas and not named Oklahoma State. Those are going to be the two overwhelming favorites, as you see right here, to be in there with Oklahoma, uh, with all the, you know, quarterbacks coming back for them, obviously skill guys for Oklahoma State, ton of experience offensively and defensively. But Iowa State, to me, number one, they are consistent, right? They, they play some really good football. They're coached well. They don't have the best talent in the league, but they've got guys that play hard, play to win, listen to their, their coaches. So they're incredibly consistent. And I like the quarterback. I like Purdy. He had a great year last year. Uh, I expect to him to I expect for him to build on that this coming year. And defensively, Iowa State's going to be good again. Mike Rose there uh, playing backer, Eisworth on the back end. And, and don't forget Jaquan Bailey, who was their best pass rusher coming into last year. He gets hurt with the knee early in the year and doesn't play. He he decided to come back. So their best pass go. rusher is going three to be levels. There. They got great players on all three le- levels. Uh, Rose and Eisworth are just as good as pretty much anyone in the, in the league. So I like Iowa State. If I'm looking for some value, plus 1,500 for Iowa State, they're not going to beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma's going to win it, but there's a chance that they they at least make the conference championship game, even though they've had a really hard time winning any of the big ones. They beat Oklahoma at home two years ago, uh, but other than that, man, they've been close, but they can't win any big games. We keep saying this is the game where Iowa State finally gets it done, gets over the hump, and they just they haven't been able to do it. Yeah, I'm, I, I am with you, though. If I had to make a pick – other than OU in Texas to win the Big 12. I, I would certainly go with Oklahoma State with all the talent that they've got returning with Spencer Sanders, Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace, you know, all those skill position weapons. But I, I just don't trust Oklahoma State's defense enough. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be productive enough. I, I think they're going to be able to score points because that's what Mike Gundy does. He – puts offenses together that score points. He's done it for years and years and years. I just don't know if I trust Jim Knowles in that defensive scheme. Ever since OU ran the GT counter 45 times and Oklahoma State didn't adjust to it in Stillwater, I have no faith in them defensively. None. I refuse. I I can watch it week after week. And I, I know there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in that play, but just all they have to do is cue up the Baylor film and watch the way that Baylor played that, that play and brought it downhill and forced the issue at the line of scrimmage. But, dude, if you're not ever going to set an edge on that play when they've got two pullers coming around, it's game. If both guys can get turned going downhill, it's over. Forget about it. Ridiculous. Still – one of the more dumbfounding things from an X's and O's perspective, we were baffled on the radio call. I mean, I was upset almost. I was like, why aren't they – I 
I don't know. I don't, I don't know you why I'm getting so flustered about it. should have walked over there and walked up to Noel and said, listen, you've got to have someone set an edge. <laughs> Make it turn up inside. Force <laughs> it inside. Oh, my gosh. Still, for some reason, still makes me so upset. Um, moving on to another line, uh, some other lines that came out this week. NFL odds are out. NFL MVP odds are out from Caesars. And, of course, Patrick Mahomes is the favorite, 4-1. to one. Lamar Jackson's sitting there at 13-2. to two. Dak Prescott coming in with the third best odds at 9 to 1 followed by Russell Wilson at 12 to 1 and then tied for the fifth best odds got some guy named Tom Brady tied with Kyler Murray at 16 to 1 you got Breeze 20 to 1 Rodgers 25 to 1 Watson 28 to 1 so i wasn't that surprised to see Kyler Murray high up there because it is a quarterback award, and I think he showed a lot of things there in Arizona last year, and now he's got DeAndre Hopkins. Now he's got Larry Fitzgerald coming back. I, I mean, he has weapons around him. But to be on the same level of Tom Brady, that's a lot of pressure going into an NFL season. But if I know one thing about Kyler Murray, that dude is ultra-confident in his abilities. No, he is. Um, I think he. I think he could have a nice year. MVP level? I don't think so, man. If you're going to win the NFL MVP, what was Baltimore last year? Fourteen and two. I mean, do you see Arizona going fourteen and two next year? You got to win a lot of games division, to be the MVP. There's no doubt. You got to win a lot of games. And there's this other thing called sophomore slump. Okay. Baker came out, looked really impressive his, his rookie year, those last couple of games. Big expectations. This is going to be Baker's year. It's going to be Cleveland's year. They're picked to make the playoffs. Sophomore slump. Okay, and I can go down guy after guy after guy that have had sophomore slumps. I mean, look at the guys on this list. Um, Mahomes threw like 25 less touchdowns last year than he did the year before. Right, and that would technically be his his sophomore slump. So I mean, it's real now. It's not across the board, but it's it's real. And I would think that Kyler, uh, that that's a possibility there. A couple of things that I think is interesting. The what's the biggest story in the NFL right now? It's Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, right? The NFL is dying to give Tom Brady an NFL MVP in Tampa Bay. Right, so I think that is, and he's got a, he's got some good weapons around him. I think oh. that offense is going to be good. Godwin, be, Evans, yeah. Gronk, he's got, he may have the best collection of weapons in the league. Right, it's going to be great for him. So I think Brady could be an interesting bet. I don't think Brady's going to be the best quarterback in the league next year, but that really doesn't matter, does it? It's who's going to get the MVP, and I think uh, there's going to be a chance for that. At some point, Breeze, right? I mean. He's running out of time here. So at 20 to 1, I think there's there's a little bit of value there, but there's two guys. Russell Wilson has been the most consistent player over the last 5 years or so. It's unbelievable. I thought last year for sure with what had gone on with that team, he was going to have a fall off in his season. And 
arguably had one of his best seasons of his entire career. He was fantastic. And last they haven't year. exactly protected him well right. over the years. All right. It's almost like he's better whenever they don't protect him. And the other guy at 25 to 1, Aaron Rodgers. I can get Aaron Rodgers 25 to 1 on a on an NFL MVP. You know, Green Bay, they draft Jordan Love in the first round. There's a good chance that Aaron Rodgers is going to show up this year and just go double birds to Green Bay and say, watch this, and just have the year of his life and then be like, I'm out of here. Get me out of this place. So I'd watch for an unbelievably motivated Aaron Rodgers coming into this season. I would love that so much. It would be so much fun to watch. Which, and, and and it, talent-wise, you can get a guy that – is still like 1A talent-wise in the NFL. Now, he's, he's at the, getting to the end of it, but he's still right there. Yeah, and get he's, him 25 I mean, he's still got Devontae Adams. So, I mean, he's, he's got some playmakers. Can you believe and... that, that stat, though? One touchdown to a first-round pick of his, in his entire career. One. I, I don't know why the organization hates him or why they hate wide receivers, but they've had a lot of success there in Green Bay. So you really can't bitch that much about it if you're well, Aaron Rodgers. He's, he's been too good to where they say, ah, we got Aaron. He doesn't need that talent. We can put it elsewhere. He can yeah. make these other guys better. Yeah, that's – I guess his ability is a blessing and a curse, right? He's got all this ability. I, I think he is the most talented quarterback. With how his career has gone, he's the most talented quarterback we've ever seen up to this point. Now, Mahomes is certainly – in the running for taking that title for me if he continues to play the way that he's played early in his career. But, yeah, I, I just think that they think he's so special as a quarterback that they don't think they have to surround him with a bunch of expensive weapons. He doesn't need all the shiny toys that some of these other quarterbacks get. And I think that pisses him off very badly. So it should. It's it's going to be really interesting to see. Now, I know that the NFL season is a long way away, but one interesting thing about MVP odds, the last five MVP award winners in the National Football League had preseason odds longer than 30 to 1. So, with that pattern, there are a couple guys sitting at 50 to 1 that I think would be a good value pick, Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield. Now, we saw what Jimmy G can do. Now, who knows if Kyle Shanahan implements some more passing into that offense. You know, they push it down the field a little more. Who knows? But anytime you got George Kittle at your disposal, I mean, you can make plays. It'll be interesting to see what wide receivers step up for them. but. You look at Baker Mayfield, and, and I know he played poorly last year. He did. He didn't play up to his standard. He didn't play up to the Browns' standards. Like He didn't play well. He knows that. But they addressed their offensive line issues. He still has Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. They've got Nick Chubb in a great running game if that offensive line makes it that way. I think he can have a big year and bounce back in year three. Now, he needs to. I don't know if it's a make-or-break year, 
for Baker, but it seems that way with the new general manager, new coaching staff, them signing Case Keenum to back him up just in case. He's going to be ultra motivated. And at 50 to 1, that may be worth taking a flyer because I think he's going to have an extremely productive year. Now, will they win enough games for him to be an MVP consideration? That's a different story. But I think that Baker Mayfield is going to have the best year of his career and he is going to silence some of the haters. And it's not just because he's an OU guy. It's because I'm a big fan of his accuracy. And I think last year he got really rattled because he thought he was going to get hit all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that. So uh, I, if I had to pick someone that's longer than 30 to 1, I, I'm probably picking Baker Mayfield at 51 or maybe Saquon at 61 just because of those luscious thighs. Yeah, if, if I get to watch him squat, I guess, and, and move about 1,000 pounds around. Here's the thing about uh, McCaffrey and Saquon. You got to rush for 2,000 yards to win the MVP as a running back. I mean, that's essentially – a lot of passes. Yeah, that's essentially the bar for a running back to win. it. It's a quarterback award. Um, Garoppolo, eh, I don't think so. Baker, here's the interesting thing about Baker. That division, quarterback-wise, you could have an opportunity to get really lost there. With Burrow there now, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him if he has a good season. Obviously, uh, Baltimore and Lamar Jackson, you could get lost there. Big, Big Ben looks like a fucking lumberjack now, so who what knows what's going to happen. I don't what, know. What I love it, though. I love. What happens if Ben Roethlisberger comes back from the elbow and looking like the West Virginia Mountaineer just goes out, wins a bunch of games, and he wins MVP? Sign me up for that. They wouldn't give him the MVP for that beard alone. They'd make him he shave. looks – he looks worse than anyone I've ever seen with a beard like that. It is awful. God awful. I wish he'd shave it. I can't look at it. It's terrible. Oh, disgusting. But, hey, um, there's going to be some good quarterback play in that division for sure. There's you no doubt. Ben, you think Big Ben stays healthy? It's been I don't a long know. I, I, I don't know. I, I hope so because – Frankly, he's one of the most entertaining guys to watch. The things yeah. he does, not only the great plays he makes where he, somehow he just sheds a guy off him. And if you've ever met him in person, the guy's massive, so it Gigantic. makes a lot more sense. But his comical plays, they're, they're up there with a guy like Jameis Winston where he does something and you're just like, what the fuck is he doing? I mean, and, and that's some of the stuff that as a football fan – I enjoy football played well at the highest level. Like, I want to see efficient offense, efficient defense. But sometimes on a Sunday, I want to see some guys do some shit where I'm like, what on earth is he thinking? And Ben Roethlisberger is one of those guys. Oh, Brett Favre would make, you know, 20 of the most unbelievable passes with a rocket arm, putting it on a dime. And then he'd throw it like back over his shoulder and throw an interception to lose the game. It was amazing watching Brett Favre play. Hilarious. Inject that into my veins directly. All right, let's move on. Uh, as our boy Toby Keith says, we got winners, we got losers. Uh, let's get to our winners and losers of the week. Ted, who you got, winner and loser? 
Vegas, baby. You got to love it. Brand new stadium. It's awesome. Uh, the Raiders going to be playing out there. They've got a couple of really nice games. What is it? New Orleans that's, that's going out there for the opener. But given the current situation in California, the Rams and the Chargers are looking into playing home games in Las Vegas if possible. How awesome would that be if you're a, a Las Vegas resident or a person that likes to go party out there? You're going to have football possibly every single weekend in that stadium. That's going to be cool. If it happens, I know it's just like very early stages, something they're looking into, but that could be really cool. That, that sounds like alcohol poisoning waiting <laughs> to happen. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just speaking for myself, but – one of the interesting things and one of the reasons that the Raiders are a winner for sure this week, uh, they have the highest average ticket price on SeatGeek. Thousand bucks, right? It is. Uh, I mean, it's roughly, I read it's roughly 30% higher than the second place team, which is the Seattle Seahawks. So not only could they have extra football, but they're making so much money off this, which they right. probably need to with how nice that stadium is. Well, it's kind of like um, if you remember when Jerry's World first opened up, every, every time Dallas hosted someone, the first time they played in that stadium, every fan from that fan base would come there. And it was basically uh, three or four years of away games for the Dallas Cowboys until finally all those fan bases have, have played there and seen that stadium enough, it's going to be the same in Vegas, but that one's going to be continuous. Like those division foes out there, I mean, say, if, you're if a we're fan, road tripping every year, we're going to the, the Vegas Yeah, game. if you're an NFL fan of a team that's not the Las Vegas Raiders, shout out to our boy Plank. I'm sure he's going to make it out there once or twice. But there's no doubt if you're going to one road game for your team if they played vegas you're going to vegas it's not even a decision i mean it's a no-brainer here's the other thing in um when you go to vegas have you been to vegas you, you go out there? Uh, i i have dabbled many times okay. well here's the thing if you go to a show the tickets to uh cirque du soleil or what they're not cheap man if you're oh, going to a no. nice show in vegas you're paying upwards of five, six, seven hundred dollars a ticket if the seats are are even decent, and, and depending on what the day is. So a lot of that's cooked in, man. A thousand dollars for NFL tickets when you're going out to Vegas. A lot of people are cooking that in. They'd spend that anyways. Right. I I, I can't wait till the Las Vegas Raiders have to use silent count in their own building. It's going to be just like Philip Rivers. When he was with the Chargers, I mean, rooting over there on the sideline with the out, eyebrow going, and Derek Carr all confused out on the field, he's going to be so pissed. Uh, Ted, who you got for your loser of the week? I feel like I've been picking on California. Am I picking on California too? It's much? fine. I would. I don't think you've hidden the way you feel about our friends out in the great state of California. I, I think people are probably picking up on the pattern. If I had to guess, well, here's the thing. If you're a beachgoer in California, you're, you're the loser of the week or maybe of the entire summer. California has reopened their beaches, but with some restrictions. And explain this one to me, Gabe. You can run on the beach, 
You can walk. You can surf. You can even swim. But sitting or lying on the sand will not be permitted. You cannot go by yourself alone to the beach and lay down. Okay, I I can bring some perspective to this because remember, (laughs) I spent the first three weeks of quarantine in Maui on a beach. And at one point, the Maui police, they were going up and down the beaches on four-wheelers. And the reasoning that you couldn't, you know, lay out and sit there was they kept the beach open because it was for exercise purposes, health purposes, wellness purposes. So if you were walking or jogging or doing anything where your body was moving, yoga, there's some naked yoga going on the beach, which, which one guy almost fought the guy because he did it right in front of his like 14 year old daughter. And it was really weird. That's a, that's a different story for a different day, but (laughs) But that was the excuse. If you were exercising, working on your health, that you could do that, but you couldn't just lay there and drink 25 beers, which is normally what I do on the beach. So I was just like, ah, I'll just stay at the house. It's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess the virus only gets you if you're sitting still. I don't I don't understand the rationale, but if you're a beachgoer in California, you're a loser this week. Now I'm gonna stick in the state of California, been a, been a very California heavy show, (laughs) but uh, I'm going to stick in the state of California for my winner of the week. And it is the Los Angeles Rams. And I know what you all are thinking. What the hell are you talking about? I'm with you. Uh, I cannot decide if the Los Angeles Rams, New jerseys are fucking terrible (laughs) or great. I, I don't know. I, frankly, I don't care. Now, that's usually not a good thing that I can't decide. The royal blue ones, they look pretty good. I'm not sure about the one, the off-white. They're calling it like bone or something like that. It's got some random white patch on it on the front for some reason. I don't know why. It's fine. They, they, they look fine. But the reason they're my winner of the week is everybody is talking about the L.A. Rams. Yeah. So they are winning. Now, a lot of people are talking shit on them (laughs) and their new jerseys that they're going to rock when they debut their new stadium. But who cares? It's whatever. L.A., as a town, is all about getting attention and standing out. And what makes you stand out more than some bright neon royal blue jerseys with some raised yellow numbers? Why not? Why not? It's interesting. The jersey situation is in the NFL, really college football, anything. If you unveil a new uniform, there is a 100% chance that most of your fans are going to detest the new uniform. Okay? That's just how it is. Tampa Bay has new uniforms this year. Uh, To the untrained eye, I played in Tampa, Gabe, and I can't tell the difference of what their uniform is compared to what it used to be. I have no there's, idea. There's it looks more the exact pewter, same to me. I'm pretty sure. More pewter. But, you know, I can't even tell the difference, but their fans were pissed that they changed it. Why? Who knows? But I, I think it's like an ingrained reaction that whenever you're 
team changes a uniform, you're supposed to get upset. Yeah, and uh, I am happy for the, what, I don't know, five football fans there in Los Angeles. They'll be excited to buy the new Rams jerseys. That's great. Good for them. New merch. They'll be glowing in the dark. It's going to be great. Now, my loser of the week goes to governors of states that don't want to let pro sports come back because they are under some serious pressure now because Ron DeSantis in Florida, the governor of Florida, and Doug Ducey in Arizona, they have made it very clear. If your state won't let you play, come play in Florida, come play in Arizona. So with Major League Baseball, And its return, gaining some momentum with a lot of positive momentum after the NBA superstar phone call with Adam Silver. I think this puts some of these governors in a very interesting position. And I loved DeSantis and Ducey going, hey, if they don't let you do it, come on here. We'll put you up. We'll let you play here. It's fine. So my loser of the week, Ted, governors that won't let pro sports come back yeah it's going to be weird whenever someone takes them up on it and the you know the residents and the the mayors and the people in those cities where those games are played are going what hang on how much did we pay as a city to build that stadium how much what percentage of that did we pay for how many hundreds of millions of dollars did we put into that stadium and now they're playing in Arizona or they're playing in Florida and those cities are reaping the benefits of, of our professional team that we probably went into debt with a bond to get the money to build the stadium. Yeah, I could see some angry people out there for sure. That It, it brings me comfort knowing that there's no way in hell that'll happen in the state of Oklahoma with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Right. They're not going there. There's no way in hell. Now, we could open the oh. state up. Hey, um, we've got some Union Tuttle Stadium. We could have uh, the Chargers could play there up in Tulsa. Or, Perfect. Uh, you know. What's Fort Gibson's stadium situation? Leo they, Donahue Stadium. Can they accommodate? They've got a 100-yard football field, if that's what you mean by accommodation. Hey, Turf hey, field, so baby, does Clemente Pribble Stadium. Home of the Fighting Irish of Bishop McGinnis, baby. Will they – We'll house whoever we need to house. Hell, some of these football guys, basketball guys, they can come stay at my house. Doors you know open. Fans? We'll pay fans to come in there and watch you guys play. It'll be perfect. Yeah, so uh, pro sports, I, I think there is some serious momentum, and I think we're, we're going to start seeing some seriously positive news here in the next week or two, especially from the NBA. Now, Ted, let's finish this thing out like we always do, and that is with our segment, keeping it local where we're going to highlight something going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And I love when it is sports related and tonight's is because shout out to our friends in Tulsa. Yes. The nine one eight Tulsa's Southern Hills will host the PGA championship in 2030. Now it's, away. It, now, it's a long way off, and I'm not sure if Tiger Woods is still going to be golfing because I think he'll be 54 years old. But 
this is one hell of an honor for Southern Hills because it's the eighth major that they have hosted, but this is the fifth PGA championship that they have hosted. No other course that I could find in the United States has held five PGAs. So I, I think that really speaks to the quality of the design, to you know how Southern Hills and the Tulsa community embrace those tournaments. I, I think it's a badge of honor that they should wear proudly. Now, I have never played Southern Hills. My, my golf game, I don't think, is advanced enough for such a golf course. But I have been to a wedding at the country club there. Nice. And it's really, really nice. And I got really, really drunk. So I did my part. And I, I'm looking forward 2030. Who knows what my life will look like in 2030. But I'm going to be there because that is a beautiful course. And I know Tulsa's going to do it right. They got to be just jacked up. Well, in 2030, I'll just give you a glimpse into the future. You'll have three kids, and you'll never venture outside of your house again. That's what your life is going to be like in 2030. Oh, gosh. <laughs> However, here's what I, th I think this is only fair, and this is a podcast um, study or development. I've never played at Southern Hills either. So I think it only makes sense that as a scouting uh, mission we go out there and play southern hills i and don't I, worry I about think, your golf game you can just sit there and hammer seltzers all day well i can i can still hit the ball around as i'm hammering seltzers and i i would assume it would go so poorly that uh, i would switch to vodka rather quickly and just put myself out of my own misery i don't but, know that we would get led on there i think there's a reason why we have i think southern hills. I, I think this is a good opportunity because I know some people in Tulsa listen ah. to this podcast. So hit us up at Ted Lehman 11 at Gabe Eichard on Twitter, or you can even hit up the show Twitter at OK underscore breakdown. If you want to invite us oh. to play around at Southern Hills. Who wants to take us to play golf? How about that? I will, I will venture to the 918. I will swing the sticks. I will embarrass myself and make whoever brings us feel much better about their golf game. And I'll buy lunch. Why not? And, and since, you know, um, neither one of us have played there and we, and we want to go, we won't even make you pay us uh, to go play golf with you at Southern Hills. We'll do it. Oh, no. Free. We'll do that for free. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Okay. Now, we're going to finish up with some Twitter questions. Uh, as always, when we record, you guys can DM the podcast Twitter, that is at OK underscore breakdown. And we've got some good ones today, Ted. This one comes from Blake Bookman, at Blake Bookman 1 on Twitter. He asks, what opposing stadium was your favorite slash least favorite to play at and why? Boy, um, you're going to go college. You're going to go NFL. I'm guessing he wants college, but I, I don't know that. Probably for wants sure. college. Uh, I think Kyle field was awesome in 2000. Uh, we lost there in 2002. Embarrassing, but it was awesome in 2000. They tried to break the world. They did break the world record for the world's loud, loudest outdoor stadium that day. And that was before they had the new end zone in 
um, I don't know if it's north or south, but um, it's fully enclosed now. And it was incredible. Seeing the atmosphere, um, it was a great game. That helps. But that stadium is so cool. And the night before the game, you can hear them doing the yell practice and stuff like that. So I would say that was cool. one of my favorite. Um, Nebraska's really cool, too. It's a, it's a really cool stadium. They pack it in there. There's a ton of tradition in there. It's got a really cool feel to it. Um, my least favorite is Baylor's old stadium. Awful. Horrible. Terrible. It was always empty. It was the worst day to play football the entire year. Hated it. That, that would be my, uh, my number one hated stadium for sure. Uh, number one hated stadium for me has to go to Kansas. Um, some people ask me why I say it's so difficult to play there. Just imagine playing football in a morgue. That's, <laughs> that's what I say. When you go on the road, you rely on the crowd to create energy for your team. I mean, they're cussing at you. They're telling you you suck. Like, you, you feed off that. Well, when you go play Kansas, there's nobody there. So you have to create your own energy, and it's hard. It, it, it's like playing in a morgue. It's like playing in a library. It's just weird. I always hated it. I'd walk out and just be like, you guys love basketball so much. Why can't you just get the basketball fans to show up to football? At least it would have some energy. I always hated playing there. It just because it wasn't fun. It feels like a practice. Oh, it's it's awful. It feels like a practice. And I always tell people this, you know, you'll have scrimmages. You'll have even a spring game, uh, live periods in practice to try and replicate game speed. And no matter how often you do it, no matter how hard you try, you can never replicate game speed. You just can't turn it on. And when you go to Kansas or whenever I played, it was more, it was more so Baylor. It feels like a practice. And it, at, at the beginning of the game, it feels like it's hard to turn it all the way on game speed. So it's just, it's a, it's a really it's weird, weird environment. It's just, yeah. it's just really weird. And then the favorite play, my favorite place I played uh, by far the loudest place I played in college was Doak Campbell Stadium, Florida State. We went there in 2011. And it was, we were both in the top five, college game day, 8.30 Eastern kickoff. Woo! Place was lubed up and rocking. I will never – and I, I want to make it clear. I remember very few plays of my football career. I don't know if it's just the way my brain works or – if something's wrong and I should be really worried. I don't know. I'm the same but way. I'm the same. Uh, and we've the ones had this I do discussion. remember, I remember it through the lens of watching it on film. Exactly. Not through the first person experience. But one of my most vivid memories playing football was we were punting out of the end zone. And I, I can't remember if it was the third or fourth quarter against Florida State on the road against them. The momentum of the game had shifted and their student section was to my left. And we were backed up, and I'm yelling at James Winchester, who is the deep snapper on punts. Oh, so you're one of the you're one. Of I'm the one of the three guys, but I was in the shield. I was one, one of the sacrificial lambs. <laughs> it was awful. They it was awful. Well God, God bless Jay Bulware for taking me off that, by the way. And I, I remember it so vividly. 
I could hear the sound coming from the student section. I could hear the sound waves hitting the ear hole of my helmet, just going womp, womp. And when it was happening, I was getting worried. I was like, dude, I am fucked up. Like, this is not good. Because I, I, I started at offensive line in the game as well, so I'm playing all, every snap. So I'm thinking, am I losing it? Like, did I, did I get a concussion and just not realize it? And James Winchester and I are face-to-face yelling at each other. We get like two delay of games or it was two false starts or something, and we're backed up. And I couldn't hear him, and he couldn't hear me. And finally, after the game, I talked to Winchester about it. He was like, dude, I did this. Some was hitting my helmet. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God. It wasn't just me. It was crazy. so loud. It so was unbelievable. We got time for a similar story. Oh, why not? When I was a, a freshman and we played at Texas A&M, um, it's like I was saying, they, they were trying to break the world record, and they did for the loudest outdoor stadium. Seth Luttrell, um, he fullback. Now he's head coach at North Texas. He was the personal protector. This is back whenever teams still had a real pump formation, not the crap they use now. But he is – they get a couple of stops, right? And it's it's second half of the game. I think at this point they're still up, and that place is rocking. So they get a stop on third down, and it's just – it is so loud. Same thing. We run out there. And Seth, as the up back, has to call the protection, right? And it's funny. Seth used to play with a dip in his mouth. So I vividly remember I played – I was the left tackle. And Seth is walking back and forth calling the protection. And I don't hear anything. So I turn and look at him. And same thing. He's face mask to face mask with me. And – I'll never forget that he's got dip all over his face. <laughs> and he's like screaming the whatever the protection is. And I, I can't hear anything. Can't hear nothing. And we're a foot away from each other. And we mess up the protection. The deep snapper goes the wrong way because he never he didn't hear the call. And they blocked a punt. And it was I'm just I'm same same with you. It was so loud that you could not hear the person staring into your eyes right in front of your face. Pretty crazy. Man. Yeah. It's just – there's nothing better than going and winning a game on the road. I mean, there's just it, – it's the best. Oh, other thing. Forgot. An add-on. It was so loud. Have you been, have you been in the game whenever a field goal or a, a punt gets blocked? It's uh, the no. dreaded – No. I was so dreaded, good at my job that we never got one blocked. Perfect. It's the dreaded double thump, right? Dum, dum. You you're you're protecting, you block, you release downfield, and you hear the do do, and you know it's blocked, and the crowd goes crazy. It was so loud that when they blocked the punt, none of the guys protecting knew, and everyone just covers downfield. Oh god! <laughs> it was nuts, man. All right, Ted. Episode seven. In the books, uh, we'll have another show that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400, and you can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Uh, until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. 
Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time